Well, good morning. <laughs> what if I told you that you are stronger than you think? What if I told you that you have this impressive muscle that you probably don't think about a lot and it's overlooked, but the rest of us, we notice and we pay attention to it? What if I told you that that muscle with the tiniest bit of effort could yield incredible power? And what if I told you that when I flexed that muscle in the sixth grade, I got into a fist fight? Well, James is going to talk about that muscle a little bit together today, this morning. And as we jump into James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, uh, James has some powerful words for us. He's going to talk about the power that this muscle has in our lives, and he has some shocking kind of images to go along with it. You know, as a reminder, if you're just jumping in this morning, James, he's the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing this letter to the first followers of Jesus. These were the first uh, people to believe in Jesus, and he's writing to a community of faith, not just to individuals, but to a group of people. And he's helping them understand that their faith in Jesus it was about more than them just believing rightly, that their faith in Jesus was meant to change everything about them. And I think for us, what a reminder this morning that our faith in Jesus, it isn't just about eternal salvation, it's not just about believing rightly, but our faith in Jesus, it is meant to change everything about us and about who we are. So this morning, as we jump into these verses in James chapter 3, I want to just read a verse or two and, and pause for a minute and just make some observations together about what James is saying and how those words might apply to us today. Sound good? All right, let's jump in. If you have your Bibles or your ESV scripture journals, we're going to be in James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Okay, by now you should probably realize that when James uses the phrase, my brothers, he's about to say something that's pretty challenging. From here on out, if you've read ahead, James uh, has a lot to kind of say. But, but genuinely, I, it, it's kind of funny, but I don't think this is a trite saying. It's not like, oh, bless their heart, you know, like kind of a, a thing that you just sort of say. I think when James is using my brothers, it's his way of saying, hey, me too. I'm in it with you, and I care for you. I have affection for you. Uh, I'm one of you. I have your best interest at heart. And so when he says my brothers, it, it, lean in a little bit. There's something here that he's trying to say. He says not many of you should become teachers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. He leads out on this chapter with just a warning for their community of faith. You know, within the early church, this position of teacher was one of a lot of status. It was a high, high, high position. This was true in the Roman world of, of people who spoke and who taught. And it was definitely true in the Jewish world too, where, where rabbis would hold this very special place of respect and authority and reverence within that community. And so this early church, this new church, it needed some teachers. And James is seeing that a lot of people are kind of wanting to do this, to wanting to be part. And he, he includes himself, he says, those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And I think there's a lot that we could unpack. We could talk about why that is the case. The Bible talks a little bit about that. But I think the big idea, the main point here, uh, is that James is just trying to discourage them from teaching just for the status, 
just for the prestige that it offered, just because of the position that it was going to be in the community. And I think it's safe to assume, because of the way James talks about it here, that this was an issue in this moment in time in the early church. People were pursuing the role of teacher for the wrong reasons. And there were even people teaching for some of the wrong reasons. Uh, And we see some of it in his letter, the ways he's writing is trying to correct some of that bad teaching. And there was this belief that was kind of circling that all that was needed to teach was just the ability to kind of speak in front of people, even without the works and the fruit and the character that would follow. And so James here says, hey, those who teach will be judged harsher. Like, not everyone should do this. And he also says that uh, (laughs) just being able to speak is not enough. He says a lot in this letter about how we need to, our faith in Jesus actually needs to change us, right? There needs to be something that kind of follows with it. But I also think it's important to just note that some of us, uh, all of us in some way, kind of operate in the role of teacher. If, if you think about it, in some way or another, uh, there are moments in our lives where we kind of step into that space. So please don't dismiss uh, or miss the words uh, that James is saying here. And in case you assume that he was only addressing teachers uh, in the verses that follow in these in these few verses, he says this. Watch how he continues in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. James says we all stumble in what we say. He includes himself. So that muscle that I described at the beginning, it's your tongue. Okay, and if you've been reading along in the James reading plan, you, you probably read ahead and already knew that. But I flexed uh, that muscle, the muscle of my tongue, at the bus stop in sixth grade when there was a kid who was making fun of me. He was calling me names, some I understood, some I did not understand. Uh, And I looked at him and I said, shut up, you jerk. And when he said, what'd you say to me? I foolishly foolishly responded. I said, shut up, you jerk. What are you going to do? Hit me? And you can guess what happened next. So as I got up from the ground... Stunned with a very large black eye on my left eye. The bus pulled up and the bus driver came out and pulled us apart. I should say I maybe overinflated fist fight like I didn't actually. The fight was over as quick as it started. Uh, I ended up with a detention, uh, my first detention ever for provoking the fight, provoking him to hit me. Um, and he was an eighth grader, so he ended up with in-school suspension for three days uh, for hitting me. But I lost control of my tongue. And I paid for it. And that was probably the like safest example I could give of losing control of my tongue, right? Isn't that true for all of us? I think all of us have moments or experiences where we could look to and say, yeah, like those words got away from me. Or that moment, I wasn't proud of what was said. And this was the effect of it. This was the harm that came from it. This was the destruction that kind of ensued. I mean, think about it for a minute. For the average person, 80% of your waking hours are spent communicating in some way or another with our words, our speech, in meetings, email, Facebook, Twitter, text messaging, even non-verbally communicating with one another, with strangers in an elevator. We spend 80% of our waking hours communicating And with all of that time spent talking and communicating, it makes sense that James here says, if we don't stumble in what we say, our communication with one another, then we're perfect. So in other words, everyone stumbles in what they say. So what he's about to write here about the tongue, it is for all of us. 
It is not just for teachers, though certainly for teachers as well. So how do we stumble in what we say with our tongue? Like not in a vague sense, but how do we do that, right? I think we stumble in what we say about ourselves with our boasting and our exaggeration. I think we stumble in what we say about ourselves with the lies that we speak over ourselves, the harsh and untrue words about who we are that live in our heads and sometimes make it out. I think we stumble in what we say about others with our criticism and our gossip and our slander and our two-facedness and anger. And even we stumble in what we say about others when we do the whole flattery and insincere thing just, just meant to gain favor or acceptance. Part of following Jesus means that our communication, the ways in which we speak to one another, it must also change. And it would make sense, right, that something that is so integral to who we are and what we do would also be something that God has a plan for, that God cares about. Notice how James continues in verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. James says, our tongues, they yield enormous power. Bits in horses and rudders on ships. They're very small things that control very large objects. And our tongue, it has a similar control over what we say. Uh, it has a similar control over who we are and what we do. But how often are we just careless with our speech? I know for me that I, I often do not consider the power and the weight to my words. So this is something that, that really hits home for me. I think sometimes uh, I just think of words as neutral, like that they don't really matter all that much. But James reminds us that they do. And Jesus, in, in his own words, in Matthew 12, says this. He says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The Bible talks a lot about our tongue, our words, our speech. It talks about how we're to discipline it to bring them under control. Because when in control of our speech, whew, we can use our words to breathe life, to lift up, to encourage, to build unity, to speak truth. But when we lose control of our speech, James is about to tell us, verse five, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless, evil, 
full of deadly poison. Doesn't that read like someone who's been hurt by words in the past? Truly consider for the moment just the image of a wildfire, right? I think unfortunately that's all too real for us. Colorado's seen its share of wildfires, and I know many in this room have, have been infected in some way. A tiny spark can cause so much destruction. I was reading this week about the wildfires that are burning in California. And in 2020 alone, 31 people have died from wildfires in California. More than 8,000 structures and homes have been lost. And 4 million acres have been burned just in this year. The tongue is fire. It's a powerful picture. And remember from earlier that James here, he's addressing a community of faith. He's addressing a group of people, not just individuals. So his words have two meanings. Our tongues can cause incredible destruction to ourselves, right? As a member of our body, it can cause some destruction. But also our tongues can cause incredible destruction to other members of the body of Christ and to those around us. And he describes our tongue, I think this is probably the most shocking part of this for me, as something that can be set on fire by hell. Why can our words cause such destruction? Why can our words cause such devastation? It's because they can actually come from and be used by Satan himself. That's the power of this little muscle, this little tongue. Left to ourselves, James says, we cannot tame our tongue. But because of the Holy Spirit within us, our tongues can be tamed. And just as our tongues can be used by Satan, our tongues can also be set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And our words, instead of destruction, instead of devastation, can bring healing, can bring life, can bring restoration, because they come from God himself. Our words matter. And it's not just neutral. And our words will be used to bring life or our words will be used to bring death. And I'm not saying that our words are never neutral, but we have to acknowledge and recognize that our words can be used by Satan or can be used by the Holy Spirit to incredible impact around us. James starts to unpack this even more in verse 9. He says, with it, with our tongues, with our words, with our speech, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This incredible tool that God has given us, our tongue, it can't continue to be used to both bless and curse. I love the image of salt water versus fresh water here. I think this is something that we see throughout scripture, this kind of image played out. But did you know that 70% of the surface of the earth is covered in salt water? It's covered in ocean. 70% of the earth is water. And not only that, but 97% of the earth's water uh, is actually found in the ocean. 
It's found in that salt water. It's amazing. But you can be floating in the middle of the ocean, surrounded on every side by miles and miles and miles of water, floating atop gallons and gallons and gallons and tons of it, and you can die of dehydration. In fact, not only will all of that salt water not sustain you, not only will it not give life, the more salt water you drink, the thirstier you will become. It'll actually kill you if you keep drinking it. But fresh water, there's not an organism on earth that can live without fresh water. Not a single organism. You know, we're thirsty people, aren't we? The needs and longings that we have. And there's a reason that the Bible refers to God as the fountain of living water. Endless, overflowing, abundant water. And for all of our thirst, we're invited to drink and drink and drink and drink. And as we drink from that fountain, from the fountain of living water, our words can be like fresh water. They can literally bring life to a world that is dying of thirst with nothing but salt water to drink. It's powerful. But I want to invite us to just slow down for a minute. Can I, can I make an observation of something I've noticed? We were talking about this in our small group uh, this week. But sometimes re- James can read like a long list of to-dos. If I ask the question, what does James teach me about what I should do? I'm going to come up with a really, really long list. Week after week after week. In this series, I've just, I'm, I've been convicted. I've been like, that is true of me. I need to work harder at that. I need to be more disciplined with that. That is something that I want God to change in me. And if we're not careful, what happens when we build that big to-do list is one of two things. One, in my self-effort, I begin to try to work at all of that. Well, let me go work harder at it. Let me feel worse about that, feel sorry about it. If I'm, you know, if I'm really enough, then maybe I can kind of grunt it out and, and be better. Or, I think on the other side, that list becomes so big and so overwhelming that we just go, I mean, come on. It's impossible. James himself says, our tongue can't be tamed. But I want to remind us, our faith in Jesus changes everything about us. We don't change everything about us. And the Holy Spirit, if you believe in in Jesus, is already at work changing these things in you. What James is describing here is the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work. And so there is an invitation for us to follow. There is something for us to do. Don't, Don't hear me wrong but it's in response to what God is already at work doing in you. So, instead of leave this morning with just one more thing that we ought to do, something we should be aware of, I wanted to even just give us some space in this moment at the end to let it go, to release it, to confess and repent where it's appropriate, and just follow God's invitation. Not as a to-do list for later this week, but just right now. We could leave with it. So I want to give us space uh, for just God to speak to us. Uh, and not in a vague sense, 
of controlling our tongue and being aware of our speech. I think there's something specific that he has for us. And so I want to take a stab at maybe some of what that specific thing might be, and then I just want to ask a question and give a minute for you to think about it. Let God speak. You know, to the person who worships, praises God on Sunday morning and, and sings songs of blessing and then abuses people verbally at home or at work, James says, purify your speech through the week. Your words matter. With the person who says, oh, I know I talk too much and just laughs it off, James is not amused. He insists, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Your words matter. To the person who boasts, I always speak my mind, no matter who gets hurt. James is not impressed. He says, discipline your speech. Your words matter. Of the person who says, I know I gossip too much, but I just can't help it. James says, control your tongue. Your words matter. Of the person who's in the habit of speaking with insults, ridicule, sarcasm, James exhorts, change your speech habits because your words matter. So Holy Spirit, draw our attention to the ways that we speak to others. Not only the ways we speak, but also the ways we use our words in email, in text, on posts, can I invite you just to ask this question of the Lord? Would you show me if there's a place where I have stumbled in my speech that needs confession and repentance? And if the answer is yes, just do it right now and receive the grace and mercy and forgiveness of the Lord. As we allow James' words to lead us, the invitation extends beyond just becoming aware of our speech. It extends beyond just controlling our tongue. If our faith in Jesus is going to change everything about us, then it's not just an absence of salt water in our speech that we're after. It's not just doing no harm with it, but there's something deeper, there's something more. May we also use our tongues to edify, to encourage, to build up, to restore, to proclaim, and in every way bring life. May our words be a spark that ignites a kingdom fire. And so Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind someone in our life that we could build up with our words this week? Would you ask this question of the Lord? Is there someone you want me to encourage and lift up to use my words to bless and breathe life?
brought someone to mind, please go do it. As we close in worship this morning, we're literally about to bless the Lord with our words. That's what we do when we sing, when we sing praises. May we submit the powerful weapon of our tongue to the Lord. Would we surrender it and let him set it on fire for the sake of the kingdom and the sake of the thirsty and for the benefit of one another. Amen.